0: Oh, good evening, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you're listening to us on this episode number three of Kelly Memorabilia podcast, which will be available on all your normal channels, on SoundCloud, on Spotify, Apple, and CastBox as well. And... uh... I'm um, delighted
1: to say this evening that I'm joined by the renowned and very well respected football historian, Mr David Ross, um, well known of course to Kelly fans, I think, fair, in fairness to stay around the world, um, has three publications on the club, which we'll more about, um, back in 1994, we had the 125th official history of the club, and then in 2002, we had the first publication of every game and update the new official history of Kilmarnock Football Club. And David has also contributed a book entitled Kelly Greats, which you can also fill us in on. Many other subjects and topics around Scottish football, not only Scottish football, but also Barcelona, um, is in there as well. So we look forward to hearing about this tonight. So, very good evening, David.
2: Good evening. I just thought I was, when you said renowned and well respected there, I just had a look around to see if there's anybody else in this wee room. (laughs) uh, Not at all. Yeah, and how are you tonight? Oh, um, as well as can be expected, you know, like everybody else, just uh, itching at the bit to be able to get back into a football match again.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's been strange to see least, hasn't it, the past year um, uh, not been able to get to Rugby Park. And, and also at a time where the team have been having a difficult season, of course.
2: Well, if there was ever a time not to go to Rugby Park, maybe this season was the one to choose. Perhaps. <laughs> Absolutely. Although there is, uh, although there is still the Cup. You know, I mean, there's a bit of a chance. You know, we are still doing well in the Cup. We've got a favourable And if we get through that, there's another home tie. So um, maybe by the time we get to the final, or if we get to the final, there might be some fans allowed back in.
1: Yes, indeed. And it's as you say, it's one of these occasions where I was quite surprised and delighted punching the air. Uh last week when the cup draw came out and been away. Oh, you know. Um so to get, as you say, a favorable home draw with Montrose. And then to be at home again with what with, well, mm-hmm. seems another winnable game, another winnable tie against Inverness or St. Marin. And let's mm-hmm. see what it takes us from there. And who would have thought, you know, this the way this season has gone, that we would even be talking about um, such a special potential end to the, the season.
2: Well, normally, when you get to April and you're still with the Scottish Cup, you're already looking forward to the semi-final. <laughs> exactly.
1: Exactly. Indeed. So when did your your time of supporting Kelly begin?
2: <laughs> uh, well, you could say from the cradle, I suppose, but uh, um, I think I, I, I'm not one of those who can remember my first match. Uh, I, I do know that it was I was round about five years old and I've sort of vague memories of uh, winning 3-1, but I, I don't really have any strong memories until uh, the 1963-64 season. That's the first one I can recall in any detail, actually, going to games. OK, and
1: what a time to, to start the memories, really. Obviously, the clubs... Uh, well,
2: I've, I've, I've often thought this, that, that for people of my generation, it was very, very easy to be a Kilmarnock supporter. I mean, I'm from a Killy-supporting family anyway, so I would always have gone that way. But, you know, the sort of pressure that's always put on kids in the playground about the old firm from, you know, almost from the the start. And it was very, very easy for small boys of my age to stick to Killy, stick with Killy, when uh, they were such a successful team. And I think that... The, the fans I respect the most were those who came up maybe 10 or 20 years later, and they were uh, having to go in and watch a side that was struggling, being relegated, playing in front of very few supporters. And uh, they would have had a much, much tougher time of it at school than uh, those of my generation did. Or indeed, those of subsequent generations, because there's nobody under 35 now can really remember a time when Command were anything other than a top division side.
1: Absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I started going in season 1979-80 and as you say, that was really just the turning point, wasn't it? And I was, I was brought up, yeah. up yeah. <laughs> I was brought up on um, stories from the 1960s and that great period of success and the, 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 the fantastic European nights. Of course, the Track game was one that, that oh, clearly was wow. legendary even then. Um,
2: well, we, we, we must have bored you to death with what it was like in the good old days. That's right, yeah.
1: But, you know, it was, it was hard, obviously, to imagine um, that the club had Aye. been so successful so when, when, as I say, it started going then, and we were regularly in the wrong end of um, heavy defeats at home. I can remember losing six one mm-hmm. to St Merton at home as well as eight one to Rangers um, just around that time, you know. And obviously we we then had quite a, a period out of the Premier League mm-hmm. uh, till back in, in nineteen ninety four um, when I had the privilege of being the time <laughs> so Uh in that season and on the occasion we're promoted against Hamilton. But as you, you say, I think it's very significant that there's a whole generation of Kelly fans now mm-hmm. that don't know of life outside the top flight. Um and let's hope that let's well, well, hope it stays that way. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um so you had you had obviously a period um, as you say, supporting the club there from the the early to mid '60s, and then eventually, you know, you were you had the, this opening, this opportunity to write the history of the club. And it, am I right in saying that the uh-huh. uh, fame by Hugh Spence was that was really just the first
2: history it was written, wasn't it? Uh, <coughs> the first. Um, history is there's one which is called Fifty Years of Comarmack Football Club, which came out in 1919, and there's no attribution to the author, but it's generally accepted that the the guy that wrote that book was uh, Charles Smith, who was uh, you know prominent club official for for many many years from the 1890s right through the 1920s. There were the odd little publications between, you know, after that, but nothing really substantial until Hugh Taylor, who at that time was probably the foremost football journalist in Scotland, came out with co-fame for the centenary in 1969. And then after that came uh, Bill Donishy's, who's who of command McQuarras in around uh, the 1990. But there had been no big... History of the club Hugh tales was a fabulous book, but it was uh, it wasn't um, a detailed history no.
0: you know it
2: was high points and maybe the odd low point and entire decades were covered inside a chapter of uh, a few pages so so what I wanted to do was to was to put where Celtic had been, Rangers had been where all the big English clubs had been and that is to have a fully detailed history of the club from the start to what was then the present and with as much statistical detail as possible for line-ups, for goal scorers dates, crowds, that sort of thing as well and um, I've got to say that uh, the chairman at that time was Bobby who was very supportive and I should also pay tribute to the um, the late Gordon Allison, who had actually had the idea of doing something similar, unbeknownst to me, um, but hadn't been able to find a publisher. Um, so if, if he'd been a bit luckier, then, you know, he would have got the chance to do what he wanted to do couldn't do it. I did, and he could not have been nicer, could not have been a better help in opening up and giving me access to all the material that he'd accumulated over many years. And um, it's sad he's no longer with us, um, but it's only right that uh, he should be recognised. And of course, he's what you might call partners in crime <laughs> as well. And, uh, John Livingston and Richard Cairns, who have also done so much for club history over so many years. Yeah,
1: so I mean, in addition to the the material you were given, as you said there, by Gordon Allison, did did it involve quite a lot of time in local libraries as well, piecing together
2: (coughs) and so on? It's, if it had been five years later, it would have been a lot easier. Again, it's a thing that's difficult for a lot of people to remember uh, what things were like in the days before the internet. Now, at that time, I was living in London, and uh, the best uh, uh, place for material was the National Newspaper Library at Collindale in North London, mm-hmm. and getting there involved uh, four stops on a train, then 23 more on the tube, changing once, and the same coming back again, and the library was only open from 10 o'clock to 4.45 Monday to Friday. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was, uh, and, you know, no chance of photocopying. Everything had to be sort of written down by hand and then typed up after that. And the publisher was in Oxbridge. And with it being my, I then passed it to the post office. Um, so I then took it to Oxbridge from East Ulrich in South London, which was another hellish journey uh, there and back, chapter by chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, until we got it done, and everything hinged on the club winning promotion as well. That was the that was the, the deal breaker. The publishers wouldn't take it if uh, Kelly didn't win promotion. So I was basically, if they won promotion, it was going to be too late to write it. So I had to take a chance on uh, on going up. You know, so I was I was probably more nervous at that Hamilton game than anybody else. <laughs> Indeed. No, oh, it's fascinating. Um, certainly, mm-hmm. I've never heard mm-hmm. that, that
1: situation, scenario you've taken before. And, yeah, I mean...
2: It's a lot easier.
1: Yeah, for lo- younger listeners, doing any kind of research now, particularly one is, is in depth as in-depth you, as you clearly carried out on the club, to not have access to the internet, you know, at, at the touch of a button and the facts and figures been there in, uh, for results and, you know, famous games... In the club's past, you, you know, all you
2: know, you know what the worst of it was. Was that after I'd done all that and going through every season and every match by hand and then typing it up every, you know, number one, number two, number three, this game. After I did all that, I found out that Richard, John, and Gordon had done all that. Uh, already, <laughs> <laughs> he's already done it all. I I never knew that until it it was all finished so that'll teach me and
1: then what what led to the I mean obviously every game came out fairly soon afterwards
2: was there any um, there was seven, seven years afterwards and what had happened, of course, in the interim, um, the club had gone, I mean, I left the original 125th anniversary was left off with staying up at Easter Road on the last day of the season. That was it. Look, it in the seven years since then. First of all, you have the ground totally changed from the old rugby park into a new all-seated stadium. Then after that, you have the Scottish Cup being won. You have the League Cup final being reached for the first time in nearly 40 years. You have Europe four times in five seasons after a gap of almost a quarter of a century. You have players like Ali McCoist and Ian Durant. And for Kelly, of course, with Tommy Burns before that, was another big name. And uh, it was just, uh, it was a place transformed. Crowds were on the up. I mean, there were, there were more people watched Colmarnock in 1999 than watched the team that won the league in 1965. So it was a totally different place and I thought the time had come. But what I didn't want to do was just do a seven years add-on. So I thought back a look for them entirely although I keep the statistical material and update that I thought I would um, take an entirely different perspective Which is to go through it from A to Z. So, uh, teams, opposing teams from A to Z. So that, uh, the book itself was in that sense an entirely new publication. I wasn't just asking people to pay pay for the seven year extra sort of thing. And, um, doubt as to whether that format would work. But it, Uh, it did seem to go down well and I I think also because it meant that because I was doing an to Z, it meant that teams that would never otherwise have got a mention in a club's history because I maybe only met them once in the Scottish Cup in 1880 dot or in a match in America in 1961 it meant they could all be featured
1: sure yeah yeah, us I mean, really good information, as you say, explanation, and, and it makes absolute, you know, clarity. That's perfect sense as to why, with the club very much on the up in the late 1990s in particular, um, that, that you know you find space to, to do that. Again, a tremendous publication and reference um, for the club's history. And I know, looking at the. The attributes on the book that was published um, just recently in on 150 years that obviously yeah. you get credited. Um, at the start uh, of
2: that. that, that is a wonderful publication. That as well, some of the stuff in there is uh, incredible.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it, yeah, I mean it. Obviously, I and mean it's a be- beautifully presented. Even just the whole hardback presentation, the, the right. sort of way of photographs. And material, and I know part of the aim of that book wasn't it was to to publish photographs that we, we probably hadn't seen before, and maybe ones that you hadn't you hadn't had the chance to publish in your own work.
2: There's certainly a lot in there that was the first time that uh, that that I'd ever seen them. That's for certain. And mm-hmm. I thought I'd rummage through every nook and cranny of rugby park back in the 1990s, but now there's some yeah. incredible, fo- some incredible photos in there. Yeah.
1: I mean, even newspaper-wise, was I mean, was the, the presumably the Commandment Standard was a, a primary source for you going back through the history? But what what sort of old newspapers were useful there? Well, there was.
2: There's actually an old newspaper called the uh, Kilmarnock Herald, which ceased publication in the, in the mid-1950s. And it's now, yeah. large parts of that are now available in the British newspaper archive, in the digital archive. So the mm-hmm. standard most, uh, um, the Kilmarnock Herald, there are some other ones long since gone. That uh, There's one called the Ayrshire Argus, for instance, which I, I don't remember much about, but there were little snippets there. Um, and believe it or not, one of the most useful ones was Sunday Post because the um, the National Newspaper Library in Collendale had got uh, you know a complete set of those from 1914 onwards. Hmm. And one thing they did was have every lineup in them because not every not every newspaper in those days carried details of the lineups. They'd maybe no. give a match report, mention who has scored the goals, and that would be it. But the, the Sunday Post always had both line ups and the rest F-
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And uh, as you say, not only with, with line ups, you mentioned crowds there earlier, and I ah. uh, you have another publication on crowds across Scottish football, which I remember reading a few, I mean, thoroughly enjoying a few years ago. And. Uh, really, really it's yeah. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it, that people always bemoan the crowds at Rugby Park, and you know, we say in times where we might be getting three and a half thousand season ticket holders, or maybe five thousand in a home gate, but but yet, historically, in, as you alluded to earlier, you know, the late
0: 1990s are an anomaly, aren't they? The thing is.
2: Was- the with, with attendances, there's a sort of tendency to romanticise the past and to think that, uh, oh, things are so much better. Now, I I heard this off my father. Now, my, my father um, was born in 1923, so he was going to rugby park in the late 1920s onwards. Yeah. And of course, he also witnessed the post-war boom. And he's on about how all these great crowds especially picking out individual matches Mm. as a lot of people do and remembering the big crowds there he wasn't remembering the two and a half thousand that were turning up in 1934 for a match in November against Clyde or St Johnston Mm. (laughs) he was remembering the 25 to 30 thousand that were turning up for big cup ties but there is, with with the attendances, I do have to say that the, the Scottish League were very very funny about that. They, um, they seem to regard their attendance figures as being like the crown jewels. And when I went to try and kill the crowds from them, they would only allow to take down Kilmarnock home attendances and Kilmarnock away attendances. And they only had them since 1961. And I said, you know, what's going on here? I said, the English League have got... All the figures from 1925, and they're freely available, you can find them anywhere. And what they said to me was that, uh, oh, the clubs don't like it. I said, don't they? They said, no, the clubs don't like it, giving away these details. I said, well, I'll tell you what, I said, "Uh, how about giving me Thub Lanark's? I said, well, who's going to object to giving me Thub (laughs) Lanark's? You know, there's there's nobody to object to that. Oh, We'll have to ask the board. So, and this carried on for a long time. That's wrote Rory, crowd never came out in 2005. And again, I'll pay tribute to David Thompson at the Scottish League who fought my corner from me. And then eventually they, they allowed me in to take details of everything from 1961
0: onwards. <laughs> but, I, I
2: mean, why the seat around it, I have no idea. No, no.
1: Um and I, as you say there, you know, you've got hundred and eighteen odd thousand for a game between Rangers and Celtic and then you've got thirty two as it turned up for East Stirling against Leith Athletic a <laughs>
2: <six> months later. <laughs> yeah. Alright, that was uh that was uh, the lowest pre war crowd. Thirty two. Mm. Um it was the same day. I think same day as the same days the Scotland England match. So right. that might have had, I mean, that might have had something to do with it. I don't yeah. know, maybe that was covered in the radio, um that was before television era. But yeah. if it was on the radio that might have explained it because there were no transistor radios at, at games in nineteen thirty nine. But it wasn't the worst. The worst attendance was ten years later, or the worst recorded attendance when there were twenty two people. In between Brecon City and Edinburgh City in the old C Division. And so that was as many fact as that So if you count the referee and the linesman, there were more people on the pitch than there were watching the match. <laughs> and, uh, how, how do you think crowds will
1: be affected across the game, assuming that we're able to get back in the stadium in August?
2: Do you think crowds will be a bit lower this season? This this is the great unknown. It's, mm. it's, I think it's impossible to predict because uh, we just don't know what this thing has done to people's behaviour and apprehension. If you think about it, just before the first lockdown, there were full houses at Anfield and Ibrox in the, the week before the lockdown. And yeah. since then, there's been, you know, next to, next to nothing. Mm. I know it in in the UK. There have been, you know, some countries have uh, have have let in a few more. But I've heard all sorts of theories. I've heard people say, "Oh, after the war, people will be champing at the bit to get in." Mm. And I thought, "Wait a minute! The war was seven. No, the war lasted six years. Organised football was stopped for seven years. Mm. You know, in terms of league cups, there were friendlies, there were wartime competitions." But, you know, not the same as what you might call a proper league or a, or a proper cup. Mm-hmm. And you were having, in what was in those days as well, still mainly a male spectator sport. You then had hundreds of thousands of people who had spent four, five, six years in the army, the navy, and the navy and the air force in dreadful, perilous conditions, risking their life day in, day out. They were coming back. They wanted some entertainment. The entertainment that was there was the cinema and football matches. Television was in its infancy, you know, and hardly anybody hardly anybody the set. So it was the TV and the football. And that was why there was a big upsurge then. The other problem is this, maybe not so much for Scottish clubs outside the old firm, and that is that it's impossible to have a post to have a post COVID boom if you are selling Forty-five, fifty thousand 50,000 season tickets beforehand, as they are at Celtic and Rangers. Mm-hmm. And even at Aberdeen, Hearts and Hibs, mm-hmm. they're selling more season tickets now than at any other time in their history. And you can't have a boom if everybody's already buying a season ticket in the first place. Sure. And that's before you start to think, will people feel safe? Mm-hmm. Will they actually start feeling safe and into the ground? Now, I know first chance I get, I'm going to go to the game. But because of where I live, which is the south-west of England, it's going to be, these are going to be small matches with a couple of hundred people there and uh, plenty of plenty of room to go and stand by myself at a corner flag if I want to. When you get seats next to one another, it might be a different story. I, I, I genuinely cannot predict what is going to happen. No. I think ultimately, Ultimately, we will get back to where we were and hopefully, in Killy's case, um, a bit better than we've been getting lately. Um, but impossible to say when.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It may well take time. And, I mean, I know there's talk at the moment about Hamden being able to, to be used to some, to some degree for the Euros in June, not however the Scottish Cup final. Um and I know that Hamden is is another one or it seems to be one of your other interests there. Um did some research in the National Stadium.
2: Yeah. Well again, it was um, I noticed around about uh two thousand to two thousand that it was coming up to the centenary of Hamden in two thousand and three, of the present Hamden. So I contacted the Scottish FA and said, uh, you know, what am a about to commemorate uh, 100 years? And they said, um, great, go ahead. And so I did. And then once I'd uh, started on it, Forrest Robertson got in touch with me and said, uh, how about teaming up? And I'll do the early you and you uh, and And because I knew of his reputation and I knew how well versed he was and he was a Queen's Park man, And we said, right, let's go ahead and do it. And that was actually showed you another reason why things had changed so much in such a short period of time. That I sat in Cornwall and wrote my bit. He sat in Stirlingshire and wrote his bit. And we got it all done in together. And I think we actually only met once before the book was published. Mm -hmm. And... When you think of what I was saying about 1993-94 and how difficult it was, and yet that was done in 2002 and 2003, less than 10 years later. We only met once, but we managed to produce the, the book Between Us.
1: Incredible. Incredible, right enough. And so where, where did your interest in the year of living gloriously for Barcelona come in?
2: I was living in Barcelona at the time, actually. And, uh, and it was the most marvellous stroke of luck in the sense that I moved there, my uh, wife and I moved there in uh, April, May 2008. And the following season, Barcelona swept the board. <laughs> European Cup, Spanish League, Spanish Cup. And then later on in 2009, they added the Spanish Super Cup, <laughs> the European Super Cup, and the World Club Cup. So in a sense, I I struck it lucky. I'd gone there and te- I'd I'd intended to write a book about Barcelona, but I had no idea that they were going to be as successful in that in that season. Mm-hmm. And um, again, club was fantastic. The people there were fantastic. The only thing, the only quibble I'd have with them was uh, they never gave us a ticket for El Clasico. No. <laughs> That no, was a. They'd let me, they'd let me, they'd let me in the press box for, uh, for matches against, uh, Mallorca. Uh, you know, one of the smaller sides, but when it came to El Clasico, they said, nah, that's, uh, we don't have any spare tickets for that. And the only time actually, in six years in Barcelona, I must tell you this, only once did I get the chance of going to an El Clasico match. Um, that was because it was uh, it was in August and I think it was the, the Super Cup. And August in Spain is a uh, holiday month. Mm-hmm. If you want to see what a city was like, if you could have given given an example of what a city would have liked during Covid, before Covid struck, go to Barcelona in August. There's nobody there. Everybody just gets out of the city because it's that hot. So, for the first time in living memory, they put tickets from Barcelona versus Real Madrid on public sale. Right. And there was only one wee problem with that. It clashed with Comama versus Stenhouse Muir in the League Cup. <laughs> uh, Such a tough choice. It did. Seriously, it clashed. And it was a defence of the League Cup. It was the first game after we won it. I'd, uh, I'd already made arrangements to go over and to, uh, meet up with some people and see some relatives, that kind of thing. Yeah. And, uh, that was it. So I spent the the night before, or the night after the, the Barcelona-Real Madrid game, which I could have been at, I spent it watching Kelly getting bumped out the league cup at home by Stenhouse Muir. So I was absolutely delighted to see that result last Saturday. Yes, to, make it, to
1: not quite make up but yeah, make up for it indeed. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean I, no, it's been it's such a fascinating um range of, of books there that you have and as you say been able to, to be is isn't. And so the, the people in Barcelona were were able to give you access to to records
2: and yeah. Yes, they have. Um, they actually have a. There's a. There's a museum there, and at the back of the museum is the the records section. So basically, oh, I wish I could remember. This is wrong. I must go and get it and remember the guy's name. Will be a minute. <laughs> there is it. Because having having mentioned all the other people that have been so helpful, it would be remiss of me. Um, and it's so long since I've been. Yeah, Manuel. Thomas Billing runs the uh, Barcelona Center for Documentation and Studies mm-hmm. and uh, he gave me full access um, gave me details of everything uh, going back particularly to you know, some of the the earlier players because the original intention, was to do a Barcelona book along the lines of the Killy. I will get a share of everything. Uh, and actually the way I worked it with Kelly was eighteen months after the book went on sale. Any sales after that go to the club for the or were meant to go for the um fifty for the future youth fund that was in that time. Uh so I said I said, We do do it the same way. And they said, No, um if you want to sell this in our shop, you must pay £10,000 for a licence. So I thought, right, you know, that, oh, that's... Uh, <laughs> where was I getting ten grand from in the first place? You know? <laughs> no, 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 that, that's, that, that just wasn't on. And as a result of that, that went by the by. So instead, I came up with the idea to do that year you know, living gloriously that season. And I said, as luck would have it, they won everything in such. so... Uh, I mean, they won everything by the Christmas lottery. That yes.
1: Was it.
2: So, um,
1: I, I went ahead with that. Yeah. And was, has that been published in Spanish and Catalan as
2: well? No. No, only in English. And that was the idea because there are, you know, there were plenty of publications in both uh, Spanish and Catalan and the whole idea was to was for an English language that season, and I don't know if there's been others since. But certainly at that time, it was the first it was the first English language could, um, of 2008 2009, and that was done in a match by match format, um, starting from the friendlies in Scotland at the start of the at the start of the season. And they played Hibbs in D United and going right through to the uh, the World Club Cup in the Middle East at the end of the, the end of the following year.
0: Yeah.
2: But I also have to say as well, the real good thing about that, not so much writing that book was getting the chance to watch players like Mester Esther, uh week in, week out, and you know, it was a fight Finest football team I've seen in my life, barring the Kelly side that won the league. <laughs> and uh, yeah. that it was it was an immense privilege to be able to watch some of those fabulous players. Yeah. You know, because they—they really masters of their art, weren't they? And just that, yeah, well, as
1: you say, a very special team indeed, and, and certainly in recent recent memory, uh, nobody to compare to them really. Um, but speaking of uh, of Europe, uh, European issues there as we have been, I think, and you also focus in um, very heaven or in a quite remarkable season for Scottish clubs in Europe in the sixties, which is oh. is impossible
2: to imagine there, isn't it? It's more of a sort of uh, you know the old saying about a Hollywood screenwriter wouldn't dream it up. And that's what that season was like. You know, I mean, if on the one hand, you've got all the great triumphs. You know, you've got, you've got Scotland going to England when they're the world champions and beating them at Wembley. Celtic winning the European Cup, Rangers and the, the, you know, in the final of the Cup with a Scot going back to Barcelona. Dundee United in their first ever matches in Europe, beating Barcelona home and away. And yes. They did that again twenty years later till they reached the semi-finals the first cup and then and you, you've got other things going on as well Derek knocked Rangers out the Scottish Cup that, and then in the midst of all that all that great stuff Sir Lanark going to the wall 95 years old and uh, uh, you know the only club that were a founder member of both I think I'm right in saying they were the only club that were a founder member of both the Scottish Football Association and the Scottish League. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, because were founder members of the SFA but not of the league. Mm-hmm. Queen's Park didn't join the league that started. They were the only one. Five years after their centenary, they went bust mm-hmm. in the same year as all these mm-hmm. great things were happening. And uh, but No, there'll never be a season like that ever, ever again. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's impossible to contemplate. Uh, that sort of thing happening nowadays
1: Absolutely and, and I mean I, I consider it a, a great memory of in terms of Scottish football thinking back to the 1980s um, it, you know it didn't have the height of the season you mentioned there but Aberdeen obviously winning the Cup Winners Cup done the oh, United States, uh, reaching the semi-final of the European Cup going very close and of mm. course then reaching the UEFA Cup final and a time where hearts beating Bayern Munich as well, and mm. you know, a period where Scottish clubs
2: obviously were able to compete in
1: Europe.
2: Oh, I mean, yeah, I mean I, I, Aberdeen's achievement was was tremendous. You know, I mean they beat Real Madrid in the final. Okay, it might not have been the great Real Madrid side, but beating any Real Madrid team in Europe takes a lot of going. And I said, the United went and did the same as they did in the 60s. They beat Barcelona home yeah. and away. Yeah. Borussia München, Gladbach. Yeah. You know, I mean, Aberdeen not fire Munich out of the, the Cup yeah. Winners' Cup. The, these were tremendous achievements and I think in large part they were down to two remarkable managers, yes. in Alex Ferguson and Jim McLean. And of course we know what Ferguson went 20 to achieve at Manchester United as well. But Aberdeen was what uh, was what kick started him. He'd been a successful manager before, we Stirling and St. Murray. But he turned Aberdeen from a from a team that was, you know, a third, fourth, fifth sort of side. Not only competing with the old firm, but been better than the old firm. Yeah. It made Rangers and Celtic were fit to play Aberdeen rather than the other way around. And <laughs> absolutely. Jim McLean did it a different way. Jim couldn't get away with it in today's game. I mean, Jim used to nope. insist that, that players lived 20 miles, no further than 20 miles from the ground. He yeah. tried to sign them up when they were about 18 and 10 year contracts, and <laughs> that sort of thing. And, uh, that would uh, that's, that, that's impossible to do in, in today's game. But again, he did his own transformation. When he took over Dundee United, were the second in the city, and he took them over. Always had been, and within about five years, he made the, the top dogs in Tayside, and they've they've stayed that way since. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No,
1: I, I but a caliber of manager that I don't I don't think it'd be fair to say we have really seen much in the Scottish game since the nineteen eighties. In some respects, I suppose it could be argued what Steve Clark achieved at Rugby Park just a couple of years ago. Um, oh, it's the closest we've come to that.
2: Absolutely phenomenal what Steve Clark did. You know, I mean, it's uh, it, it, to transform a team that was struggling the way Kelly were, and to get them into the top six in the first place uh in, in journey season when we were near the bottom when he when he when he took over. And then for a third finish the, the following season, best in over fifty years. Back in Europe, the least said about that the better. And um it's just you, you, that was the sort of thing that you could not have predicted. I think everyone knew when Steve Clark arrived that club were gonna be on the earth. definitely. Yeah, because he had the quality, had the background. You looked at some of the names of the people he'd worked with, you know, at, at uh, Chelsea and at Liverpool, and he would had experience in the the English Premiership. Uh, I think the West Brom is, was was at West, West Brom, I think as well. So quite, amazing. he was a top quality manager coming into Rugby Park. And yeah. defy anyone to turn round and say eighteen months' time we'll be third in the league. Yeah. you know, you just Not predicted that.
1: No, no. For for me, I think in terms of Scottish managers, I I don't see a better one than Steve Clark and Steve Clark's achievements no. since
2: the days of McLean and Ferguson. No, no. I mean, there, there are good managers, but there are there are fewer of them around. You know, at one point, at one time, until a fairly recent past, you could always rely on maybe four, five, six. Scottish managers inside the top flight in England and yeah. you can't do that means there's not many English managers in the top flight <laughs> in England either no. No. Uh, these days but, um, but I, I'm not sure what's happened there I think it's maybe it's the, the change of style of management managers no longer rule the roost no. the way they did in the days of Jim McLean <laughs> or um, a good English example of them would be Brian Clough. Yes. You know, in those days, the manager laid down the law. If you're now in a situation whereby some uh, Russian oligarch or Middle East sheik, you're asking them to spend 50, 60 million pounds in a player, uh, I think you can fairly, you know, you can safely say that that person is going to have a big say and who the manager puts out in the pitch on a Saturday. So we seem to have gone full circle. Before the Second World War um, directors and selection committees held sway. Hugh Spence was manager of Colmarmont for nearly two decades. Not once did he pick that team without it being put before a three-man committee of directors before the match to approve or to change it. They had the say then after the war, managers come into their own, and would make a big point about no director will tell me what team to put out in the pitch. You know, I will walk out this club the moment any director says that uh, says who I must play. Now it's different. Even your Mourinho's will field the players that their chairman, that their bosses tell them uh, tell them to field. Yeah. And in fact, in the Scottish football, as late as the 1960s, there was a Rangers manager, Scott Simon, who was one of the great post-war managers. Mm-hmm. Won everything in South League <laughs> Cup we East Fife, you know, Took <laughs> Preston North into the FA Cup final. You know, he had a good record. Then he came to Rangers, he enjoyed great success. They were playing Real Madrid in the European Cup time Madrid. Simon couldn't hand the team sheet over to the referee because one of the director's planes had been delayed coming in from London, and they had to wait for that director to get to the ground and cast his eyes over the team sheet before uh, before it could be given the go ahead. <laughs> this was a European Cup tie against Real Madrid, and the manager couldn't say, you know, this is my team. Oh, that's incredible yeah no
1: just the way that, the many ways in which the game has changed beyond I suppose all recognition uh, but just going back to but, Kelly but, but, sorry just going back to Kelly and just your own research your own work on, on that are there any pieces of memorabilia from the club's history you've, you've picked up along the way you still have uh,
2: um, I, I'm I'm not a great one actually for uh, for memorabilia. Although I think um, one of the things I did like was that uh, I did get a, a framed uh, copy of the photograph of the uh, club centenary match against Eintracht Frankfurt in in 1969, and uh, that is uh, that's got a sort of pride of place thing. Um, but other than that, you know i have I'm not a, I collect maybe some books. I've got a full set of Rothbins here on the shelf behind me, for instance. Yeah, yeah. But, and I a, a program much I go to, but I wouldn't say I collected programs, right. for instance. Yeah. Um, I, I've maybe got the odd match ticket lying yeah. around, but I don't collect match tickets. Um, so, I don't have room for them. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. the, the, Never anything else, but uh, it's yeah. memorabilia. I did get a copy, a photocopy of that original um, 1919 booklet that was published by the the Standard, the 50 year history. Um, so I've I've got so I've got not, not a a replica of the book, but just photocopies of the actual pages, and uh, that's I love that as well. But uh, otherwise, uh, the 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 best memorabilia is the the memory of the last match, and you've just had a good win. Yeah,
1: indeed. So so just kind of round it off with thoughts for the remain the remainder. You know, the next five games, and we mentioned the Scottish Cup earlier. Are you confident of uh, Kelly staying up? Well,
2: we're. We're doing this the night before the Ross County match. If we were doing it in 24 hours' time, I'd have a far better idea. Um, well, until, until a couple of weeks ago, no. But the the thing is now, this is in our own hands. We're okay, we're second bottom now. But if we beat Ross County tomorrow, that's us out at the bottom this is, uh We're not waiting for other teams to slip up or for... Uh, you know, I'm looking for results elsewhere, which we were doing two weeks back. Yeah. You know, fans are busy refreshing their browsers to see how Hamilton were getting on against St Nurn, for instance, and that kind of thing. We're no longer doing that. If we if we win our games and looking at the five fixtures we've got, of those five fixtures earlier in the season, the team was not playing well at all. We took ten points from yeah. those five fixtures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If we take 10 points again, we stay up. It's as simple yeah. as that. Yeah. So in a sense, all we're asking the lads in the pitch to do is to be just as bad as they were earlier in the season. <laughs> <laughs> because if they're just as bad, <laughs> they'll take 10 points. But, but, uh, but no, I mean, and I also think if the worst comes to the worst, you know, we've, we've been here a few times in the past uh, 10, 15 years. Yeah, And there is this nagging feeling that, you know, you can't always sort of stay up. You know, yeah. one of these times it's going to go wrong. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't, we end up in the playoffs, I think we've every chance of being successful in the playoffs. Yeah. Because I don't see a great deal of quality in the I don't think you'll get a game from the teams in the championship, definitely. But there's no side there that you're sitting there saying, oh, I hope we don't play them. No. I hope we don't have to meet them. Nothing yeah. like that. The problem is... We finish up in the bottom spot because then it becomes very, very difficult to climb out, to climb back out of that division. And uh, that's that's the fear. That's the fear. Yeah. Um and stay confident, stay optimistic, as I said, do the same as we did earlier in the season against the same five opponents, at the same home games, same away games. Take another, well, take fifteen points that will do. Do the same yeah. as we did before, you'll yeah. stay up. Simple yeah. as that. Yeah. I think the I also think by the way it's the right appointment. The manager, regardless of what happens, Tommy Wright, I think, was the best manager available. He has a very good track record with St. Johnston. You only have to look at what they did uh, what they did in his what seven years there. And um, if the worst comes to the worst, then we are still as well placed as we possibly could be, um, with as good a manager as there is in the Scottish game today. Yes, absolutely, I'm tough
1: with that. And do you have any uh, you have any have uh, upcoming projects or uh, writing, uh, writing plans? I have
2: been, um, I did a book in 2013 called Gaffers, which was an A to Z of Scottish football managers. And um, I've been trying to update that. But of course, the problem is, when you're trying to update a book about Scottish football managers, then, you know, you'll find that every week, there's one gets sacked. or somebody else comes in. Uh, And what was over 700 pages originally, In the seven or eight years since, there's obviously been a lot more managers to to add to that. Um, So it's difficult getting it right. What I really wanted to do was to do um, a history of killing managers, specifically Mm -hmm. aiming at managers. And that is still very, very much a work in progress, uh, but it will be done. And uh, again, the, the whole idea there is to do it in a chronological order and take every manager, before there was a manager, look at some of the more prominent committee men and club officials and so forth, like Charlie Smith, whom I mentioned earlier, or John Wallace, the club founder. Um, Because they they played as, you know, in a sense, they were managers, you know, because they were picking the teams and they were doing all the secretarial work and everything like that. They just never had the title or the salary to go with it. Um, So to do that and to take it up to the, I think when I started it all, it was to run up to Steve Clark. We're now in our third manager since then. So so it'll it'll take a bit of time, but eventually, you know, a bit of luck, I'll get there in the end. And uh, hopefully we'll reach the same point as when the previous club histories, were published, because the first one came out after the first season back, the top flight, after 10 years, so that was a good year. the game came out, having reached Europe for the fourth time in fifth years, and having reached the League Cup final for the first time in nearly 40 years. So if these things come in three, then uh, the next history will come out after another cup triumph. Well, let's, let's hope so. <laughs> I did
1: <laughs> uh, very much look forward to reading that one. So, David, it has been an absolute pleasure. It has been a privilege. Likewise. To, nice. to speak to you tonight. Thank you um, so much for taking part in, in this podcast. Um, You're yeah, welcome.
2: I've loved it.
1: Uh, good. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, tremendous to hear your your thoughts. Your, you know, all about your work uh, for the club and the club's behalf. Um, I'm fascinating as well to hear about some of your other projects, like Barcelona um, and the statistics and on, on the history of crazy of Scottish footballers. <laughs> it's mm. it's been absolutely tremendous. It's been an education for me. I have read your books. I can honestly say, um, and I have thoroughly enjoyed them each each time I have. So thank you. Thank you. Um, and I say I very much look forward to the Kelly history and uh, the Kelly manager. and
2: um, but before you, I, and I just I just want to say thank you because I've been uh, you know following the the series uh, when I can and thoroughly enjoying the ones that the ones that-
0: coming up on the Kelly Memorabilia podcast. We're going to be talking about fanzines in the near future, going right back to the time of Paper Roses, Kelly Ken, right up to date with the Hippo, of course. And we're also hoping to be speaking to the Kelly Trust in the near future as well, and finding out about their work and about their thoughts on all things Kelly, as well as memorabilia. So we hope you enjoyed tonight's episode and a trip through the, the history books, really, of the great club. And hope you will be able to join us again in the very near future. Do give us a follow on Twitter under the handle Kelly Memorabilia. And once more, remember, the podcast is available on all the main outlets, SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple, uh, CastBox, and also Google as well. So for the meantime, it's goodnight from me. Take care.